When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, background noise any issue with that nope <coughs> okay because <laughs> my daughter's watching uh they watch <laughs> yeah no worries man dude yeah what is going on dale dude. yeah man the sky is falling the sky is falling. i know <coughs> is that a coronavirus cough yeah yeah right no it's actually allergies man yeah. dude I, um, I believe you yeah it's uh, i'm really pro- yeah. prone to allergies so it's is it is coronavirus a Chinese weapon? Is that where we're at now, Dale? Uh, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me one bit, man. Really? I mean, you got to look at China, man. They got their ass handed to him economically by Trump, man. He just he put the kibosh on the bullshit, right? Yeah. Um, and held them to account, and uh, so you know they've been they've been profiting off of us, you know, high taxes, stealing, you know, technology, blah blah blah. And um, Trump finally called them out on it, and uh, and and put them put them in their place, you know, socioeconomically, man, where they're supposed to be, and uh, without cheating. And so now, uh, I think, you know, I think the writing was on the wall for them. Like, damn, you know, we got to level the playing field, and we can't do it, you know, with our economics. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have to get dirty, and I, I would not surprise me, dude. I, th- I think there's a bigger conspiracy at play. <clears throat> um, you know that one American scientist, um, you saw that, right? Got arrested uh, by the FBI. He was basically uh, working with uh, two uh, Chinese agents, okay, at a, at a bio uh, a lab up, up north and um, oh, in Canada. Yeah, no, in the U.S. And actually, one of the one of the Chinese agents made it out of the country. Um, she's on the most wanted list right now. And the second one actually got rolled up at uh, Logan uh, Logan Air, Airport and uh, had seventeen vials of. Uh, um, I guess, uh, you know, whatever, you know, some type of viruses or something like that in the vials, but they were trying to smuggle out. And this other guy, the American, was getting paid, you know, tons of money from them, um, you know, uh, sneaking technology to him. So, you know, he, and in Wuhan, in Wuhan, there's when, a lab there, right? That's what he was when was to this? that. <laughs> so I think, I think it, ultimately at the end of the day, man, you know, I, I just hope it comes to, comes to surface, man, the reality of it all. But, uh, I think there was a bigger, uh, a bigger conspiracy at play. Whether it was uh, this guy being financially incentivized to help the Chinese, not realizing what's going to happen, and they took advantage of them, or maybe it's a bigger conspiracy than that. But uh, none of this is making any sense, you know. And when you really do analyze the numbers, you know, everybody's talking about you know the exponential, you know, you know, growth of this pandemic and what it could mean, blah 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 blah. But man, when you look at the numbers, okay. Okay, I'm not disagreeing that, you know, it could burgeon and it could really propagate, you know, uh-huh. and uh, but when you compare that to, you know, and everybody's, oh, you can't compare it to the flu and the swine flu and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but what you have, what I'm not going to, I'm not going to compare it to the severity of the flu or the swine flu. What I'm going to do is compare it to the, um, you know, the the attention those got, you know, by the media yeah. and, and, and uh, nobody paid any attention to it. 
nobody was locking people down when you know sixty thousand people got hospitalized for the flu and what twelve thousand people died from it and then yeah. you know the swine flu and on and on H1 and on one, yeah. um you know i mean you hardly heard anything about it and now all of a sudden you know people are losing their, their mind over you know but you know the, the numbers you know what we have and the percentages i mean you've got like a one a one percent chance maybe up to four percent chance of falling victim to this thing if you fall into a certain category mm. of people right now anyways that doesn't mean it can't mutate and kill more people but you know what any daggone virus can mutate even the flu virus can become like super severe you know and mutate right now we're yeah. still kind of in the back end of the flu season you know yeah. so but it's the response and the reaction by um you know the media by you know by the everybody man you know i mean let, let's get this when you see Americans, and I'm so embarrassed, man. Oh shit! <laughs> you're good. <laughs> uh, my my phone holder is kind of no, dude. You're fine. Give out on me. Literally uh, happens to everyone. The phone. But anyways, you know, when you see um, you know you, you see Americans run into you know Walmart and hoarding toilet paper, man, it, it really makes you wonder, man. Where you know what is your priorities, man? I mean, yeah. come on, really, you know. A toilet paper i mean what are you what are you afraid you're gonna not be able to wipe your ass you yeah. know um well first of all you gotta have food to, to you, know, even, you know concern yourself with that you know and, and so it just tells you the american people man not just american people but actually globally man most people are you know they're lemmings man they just follow each other right over the cliff you know it's easier yeah. to let everybody else think for you yeah. so you don't have to you know and uh um, sadly, you know, there, there are two kinds of people in this world, you know, prey and predators, you know. Um, we talk about sheepdogs all the time, but, you know, the ultimately a sheepdog, you know, down at his core is a predator. He's not oh. prey, man. He's, he's still a predator, yeah. you know. And that's the two kinds of people in this world. And uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of sheep, a lot of, you know, people out there that don't want to use critical thinking. They, you know, they're happy with being told what they need to know, what they need to do, uh, rather than actually trying to figure it out for themselves. And so um, this is not going to get any better, um, not anytime soon. It's going to get worse. And uh, I have my predictions of how this is going to go. But uh, let's hear it. Yeah, I actually think, you know, we're. <clears throat> this is going to come in phases. So right now, we're you know now we're seeing you know schools you know being locked down. We're seeing you know ice, uh, you know social distancing and isolation. Blah blah blah. Um, you know the next phase is um, I think is what's going to happen as this thing this this virus starts to propagate even more. You start seeing more people getting sick, and you're going to see more people getting sick, and you're going to see more people coming up positive because now the test kits are coming out. More people are already positive than we know, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, all, this, all we're going to do now is just highlight that with the test, right? It's going to freak everybody out. Oh, my God, you know? Like, you're like yeah, they've always been here, you know? But uh, it doesn't change, the, uh, doesn't change the numbers. But what, what I think is going to happen is as the panic continues to grow um you know most of it's irrational but as it continues to grow um you know it's you're gonna see stores just like getting wiped out of food you're gonna see you know more closures you're gonna see the transportation network start uh start to slow down um maybe even be you know intentionally slowed down I, I mean i'm thinking way outside the box right now yeah. but i gotta be realistic you know i mean i can see a day coming where we're ambushing supply trucks to walmart you know yeah, to, get our, to get our goods absolutely you know, I, I, I can see all that happen i can see 
In fact, I, I had a re- read a report this morning from one of the news agencies, you know, that's, you know, and it basically it downloaded, uh, um, I think it was Twitter feeds, you know, where people are starting to call for looting, you know, hey, when are we going to start looting, you know, when we get this party on, yeah. you know, after the coronavirus. So that that's already starting, right? So um, it's, now what we need is a trigger, okay? The trigger is going to be, when people go three days without food and they can't get any more at Walmart, right? Um, that's going to be a, that one of the triggers when you start running out of gasoline, fuel to move around. Um, and oh, when our Wi-Fi or internet gets interrupted, you know, or service gets interrupted or we start getting power outages. You know, there's a there's a cascading events that are going to take place, right? One thing affects the other. Um, and the, the longer we go, the more likely these things are going to start popping their head up. And everybody keeps saying, oh, you know, conspiracy theories and that'll never happen man i tell you what you know it's like you look at the left man you know all the anti-gunners man they're running to the gun store i need a bad gun they can't buy one now right (laughs) because there are no guns no ammo left and two you know a lot of the stores have closed um and so and now they're going oh shit what am i going to do finally the lights came on you know and now they got to figure out what they're going to do when when this yeah when this day if this day comes which could very easily happen on um, this day comes what am i going to do to protect my toilet paper you know and so um you know it's i think it's coming man and uh you know i take it serious enough that my my uh i have a roommate here in florida with me um you know we, we've been stocking up on you know you know basic supplies you know food you know dry foods dry goods that can last us for a while um you know we got contingency plans in place we need water hell i got a huge swimming pool right here where i live man it's like okay there's all the water in the world that we need yeah. to drink you know yeah if we need it but uh um you know, but we we're already thinking outside the box yesterday. I did a, an ammo weapon count and started collecting all my gear and my body armor, you know, and just getting it put in place because I'm not going to wait until, you know, the, the bubble bust before I start yeah. responding, you know. Yeah. I'm start preparing now for, geez, here goes my phone again. Yeah, no, you're fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, dude. But, I, that, that's one thing I thought of. I was like, I wonder what Dale's doing. Like, I bet Dale's fucking locked and loaded and ready to rock. Like, it's, well, it, you know, it's better to be prepared, man. And, uh, you know, otherwise you're going to be like these people running to Walmart buying toilet paper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and everybody's starting to panic now because they're not prepared. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't care about toilet paper. You know, actually the the Asians are laughing at us, you know, because they don't use toilet paper. They use, <laughs> you know, they, they use hoses, you know, yeah. and uh, spray hoses and stuff like that, you know. And, and they, they can't get their head around this whole thing. They're like, what, what the hell's the deal with the toilet paper? Yeah. Am I missing something? You know, what, take a shower. So, just, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, man, I'm, I'm, I tell everybody, man, brace for impact. So I'm actually back from Bali now in Florida. Um there's a travel ban now in effect in Indonesia, so I can't even go back if yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. Um, my wife and family, other half of my family is over there. Um, my business is over there. Um, it's taken a huge hit um, because we're we are tied to the hip with the hotel, uh, you know, the hotel industry, and so tourism is almost flatlined completely now, especially with the uh, travel ban. So everything's shutting down. Everything's hurting. Um, hotels have a less than 10% occupancy rate, you know, and, uh, man, this thing is killing me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, brother. Yeah, dude, you um, lean up against something. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe I'll just do that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, there we it go. doesn't matter. There we go. Um, um yeah, it's, yeah. Everything is just ground to a halt. Yeah. It, it affects me because, um, you know, my, for example, the hotels, you know, I've supply, you know, canines, explosive detector dogs for all the hotels. And, um, 
And so, you know, they're trying to reduce, they're, they're already, you know, firing people left and right, relieving people from work. Um, and they're trying to cut services everywhere. And, and they're obviously trying to cut my service, like, you know, they don't need the dogs, but uh, it's the canines are part of the security um, the security plan, and that they, they have Marriott actually has protocols in place and mandates in place that uh, they have to have a certain level of security that includes canines, and uh, so they can't unilaterally at the at the hotel level you know cut any um, security. So that's probably the only reason I'm still surviving there. But uh, you know I'm reading the tea leaves, thinking, man, you know this could. Uh, that, that all could change overnight, literally, and um, and suddenly, you know, we could be uh, out there, out of business, literally out of business. Um, the good news, I heard yesterday on the news that um, um, Trump is thinking about um, <clears throat> basically um, uh, giving, you know, basically giving financial support yeah. to the airlines, hotel industry, yeah. things like that. They're taking a beating because actually when you think about it, man, um, especially overseas, they're, they're talking about doing that in Indonesia as well. Um, you know, the, the airline business and the hotel business is very- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Very important when it comes to, uh, you know, commerce and business and things like that, man. You shut down the airlines, okay, you're not exchanging goods, you're not exchanging people with money and business and things like that. And hotels, nobody can, you know, has a place to hold up. So it makes sense to, to protect all that if you can. Um but yeah, my my prediction is um, we're probably going to see a minute where and I say a minute where it's going to kind of get uh, it's going to escalate to something more um, on the level of combatives. <laughs> I, I believe it's going to happen. You're going to see more violence um, as people start to panic. Um, but I think also on the other hand, you'll see um, you know it'll, it's going to swing back the other way, man. You know it's it's going to we're going to recover. Um, you know. I, I kind of agree with the 15-day um, self-imposed yeah. quarantine, so to speak. You know, yeah. let's keep the you know that curve everybody keeps talking about. You know, let's keep curve. that curve level or bring it down some. Um, you know, it's not going to make the virus go away, but it'll make it manageable. And uh, and when, as soon as it's manageable, I think you'll see everything start bouncing back. Um, so. You know, how long is that going to take? I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I'm hoping that within a month, you know, things start uh, start to turn in the right direction. Um, but I'm prepared, you know, and, and here's the irony of all this, right? <clears throat> so this is Trump's 9-11. And uh, it's the way, yeah. the way I see it, you know. It is, it is. I and was uh, that this whether it just it just happened to be serendipitous, or, you know, or just uh, happened to be something that happened, or if this was deliberate, I'm kind of inclined to think it was deliberate um, for a lot of reasons uh, on many levels. I think uh, I also think there are a lot of people on the, you know, the globalists, um, certain certain people in, in play in power. I see this as an opportunity to undermine uh this president and our country and our economic standing because we are like really i mean we're massive powerful man i mean yeah you know we we have just trounced the world not because we've taken advantage of them it's just 
we have outperformed everybody, you know, in what we've done. And, uh, and that, they hate that because they can't really make money off us no more. Yeah. And, um, and so what better way to bring us to our knees by introducing some virus like this, not only that, you know, altering, uh, you know, social constructs, um, you know, controlling people, controlling the lemmings out there. And man, there's a lot of them out there. I mean, all these toilet paper, paper, paper hoarders, you know, um, they're just gullible. They're, they're easy pickings, man. You, you know, it's like the Romans, man. You control the dumb masses and yeah. you control everything, bread you know, and give them bread and circus and, and you own them, man, you know? And so that's unfortunate. And I, it makes me really mad. And I want to, I want to, you know, um, on one hand, you know, you know, forgive these people for being dumb and ignorant. But then on the other hand, I can't because your stupidity, your ignorance, your naivety, um, your failure to critically think um, what you have done is you've put not only yourself in jeopardy, but you put our country in jeopardy and you put my family in jeopardy. Mm. And that's the part I resent. And uh, and so if you're a liberal ass out there and you're anti-gun, this, that, now you can kiss my ass. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, and you get everything you got to coming to you, whatever happens, man. I, and I'm, I say that and I, you know, it sounds yeah. hateful and be honest with you. I am hateful. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm not going to sit there and pretend like, oh, I got to love everybody. Yeah. You know, we say we're all in this together. Well, it's bullshit. Um, not, we're not all, we'd like to all be in this together and work together. But, you know, what? there are there are a lot of actors out there that are, you know, I mean, you got Bill Miller coming on there hoping we go into a recession. Yeah. You know, to yeah. under, I mean, you got these kind of clowns out there that would wish, you know, bad will on people just to, you yeah, know, go, ha ha, I told you so. And yeah. I feel good about it while everybody else is now. Now, you know, out of business, suffering, you know, and while this asshole who's making millions of dollars is sitting back, you know, enjoying life still, you know, it didn't affect him at all. And, you know, that's not, you know, I'm not here to talk about that. You know, it is yeah. what it is. All we can do is um, take care of ourselves, stay focused, stay positive um, in the downtime that you have, you know, try to make the most of it. That's what I'm doing. I'm building, actually building business, um, business opportunities doing some personal professional development and trying to get the most out of this free time try, that I can try to find I'm the most, pretty much yeah. isolated. Find you know? the silver lining. That's what I'm trying to yeah. do is I'm emailing so yeah. many people to do my podcast because I'm just like, yeah. I'm like, what is the upside of this? People are going to be stuck at home and not working who normally are never at home and are always working. So I'm finding yeah. people that normally wouldn't have the time to do the podcast. And I'm like, hey, are you self-isolating? Are you quarantined? Like, you know, would you like to do my yeah. podcast? I'm just like, how can I make the most out of this? Well, yeah, it benefits you and it benefits them. Like, you know, hell, I might as well, you know, get put, you know, get, get the message PR. out there. Yeah. And uh, so um, anyways, with all that said, um, just kind of a little bit of what's going on. So since we've talked about the last time, we, we discussed some uh, op options and some opportunities and some, yeah, I guess, some topics to, to discuss. Um, first of all, I want to announce that uh, I have um teamed up with joe Teddy from dual survivor discovery channel and uh i've known joe actually for a very very long time uh i know a lot about joe on an every personal level professional level um i know who he is and who he's not and i can tell you that uh regardless of what's out there about him you know um you know there's always haters out there you know success comes enemies and uh and i happen to know that everything that's out there is just purely bullshit propaganda that's been generated just to undermine him um anyways it, it's not you know Okay, it is what it is. But so bottom line is I'm, I'm paired up with the guy um, and I made that choice because um, I think what he brings to the table 
and I know his work ethic because I've worked with him before, and uh, I know where his mind is at. I look at his past performance of what he I know he can do and, and has done. I think, uh, and we thought that we would make a great team together. So, um, and what are we trying to do? Um, ultimately, what we want to do is help people, you know, grow. We want to share experiences, share our knowledge, share, share you know, share all the things that created us who we are, right? Mm. And um, and so. And there's something behind that. It's not like, oh, we just work hard, you know, and, you know, we're always not positive, you know. Mm. Um, that's not enough. And, I'll, and I'll, I can go into all that later on why that's not enough. But uh, um, there's actually a science, okay, under this under an underlying science, this whole uh, this whole thing called success, man. In fact, there's things called success frequencies. And uh, even Albert Einstein quoted that, man. Um, he talked about success frequency. He actually talked about real energy and, and thinking and how you develop that. Um, so anyways, um, without getting too far in the weeds, the company's called, um, uh, it's, it's Tier uh, 1. Okay, uh, basically it's, it's, it's coaching, performance coaching, tier one performance coaching, all one word. And uh, we have a Facebook page up now and we just, we just posted it today. Um, we're creating a website. Um, you know, the website's not a big deal because reality is website is just a, uh, like an online pamphlet. Go check out, you know. Yeah. Um, so we don't, we're not getting too wrapped around the axle with that. Um, we're more concerned with social media and uh, and propagation through social media, right? So um, we've got several people that are helping us, uh, including my daughter, my oldest daughter. She's a um, online marketing um, expert, and um, and so she's actually going to take uh, the reins on a lot of this stuff to start, uh, you know, driving you know traffic toward us um, and, and helping to promote us. And there's a lot of other stuff. Um, Bali, Indonesia, I'm paired up with a, an Amer actually a Canadian group over there that is promoting, uh, starting to build my, uh, um, uh, I guess, my public profile and uh, through social uh, media and things like that. And uh, they're going to help propel me forward. I'm also working with another company out of Canada, a, a marketing firm that uh, is also going to help me do that. So basically what I'm doing is <clears throat> I'm actually what I am doing now is creating or developing um, a goal that I was already um, dialed in on. And so this I've always coached for a long time and I decided that I want to make this a parallel um, career opportunity along with my security business. And uh, and so I feel like this is a perfect time to really start getting on the gas on the on the coaching stuff and take it to another level. Um, so anyways, um, here we are. Tier one uh, performance coaching. Uh, it's myself and Joe Teddy. We have a pretty um, a pretty robust curriculum um, based on a lot of my stuff, psychosomal engineering. Um, as well as his performance stuff, and we've merged it together. And what you're not going to get is, you're not going to get two clones, okay? And we're, you know, parroting the same things. Um, but what you're going to get is two guys with somewhat divergent views on some things, but uh, there's an intersectionality there where we come together and we're in agreement that this, this, inter this intersection, this confluence of ideas and, and experiences, um, this is really the hub um, of, our ex of our success, right? So there's some things that we do a little bit differently, but they both come together in the middle and go, okay, they, it leads to this. And if you can mm. get this down, then you'll grow from there, right? And so we're not talking uh, different languages, um, different concepts, um, but we're talking different um, 
different contexts, I guess, if you will, or different perspectives, but with the same uh, end states. So anyway, that's uh, that's my little that's my little marketing spiel. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, fine. it's badass. No, no, and it's good, man. It's uh, you know we're, we're going to have uh, modules, but basically our program is eight weeks long. Um, I've been doing this for several years now, and it's an eight week program for most people, and. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter, man, if you're fat and overweight, you know, most of my clients are actually between 45 and 60 and anywhere from around 20 to 26 uh, males um, in those groups. So uh, the 45 and 60 year olds during that midlife crisis, you know, they get up in the morning, they walk to the bathroom, go, shit, I'm in third, my third trimester of pregnancy, you know, and, you know, Lord help me, you know, yeah. and, and uh, they wonder why their boys and their kids don't want to play with them, and they're playing with the dads next door because he's in better shape, and yeah. the mother is playing with the dad next door because he's in better shape, you know, and uh, and these guys realize, man, that somewhere somewhere down the road here, they, they back in the road, they went wrong, in the wrong direction, um, and actually, there is a, I know what the reason is for it, and I explained to them what happened to them, and uh, it happens to a lot of guys some guys don't want to admit it um some guys are just fat and happy just accepted the way it is mm. and usually don't go any further than where they are now right um but there's guys that go man i want more out of life you know i want to i want to live i want to do more things you know and so that's those are the kind of guys that come to me and then the the younger ones the 20 to 26 year olds come to me because they're uh you know, they look down the road and they go, man, I don't want to be that 45, exactly. 60 year old dude. It looks like that. How do I get ahead of this curve, you know, way before I get there? And so they come to me, you know, and they want to learn now. Right. And so they want to they want to learn the, the, the magic. And so, you know, they're forward thinkers and, you know, good for them. They'll, they'll be successful. Hmm. I wish I had mentorship that like that when I was younger. You know, my whole life would probably be a lot different. Hmm. Um, I had to learn everything along the way. Um, and, and I've been aggressive. I've been determined. Um, you know, I've always wanted to learn, learn, learn. And, and it's brought me to this point now where I'm still a doer, but I'm also still a teacher. Um, and so I can do both. Um, give me give me a second to yeah. turn my TV down here. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I read the rest of it. Oh, gives update. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At first I was written, gave up. Oh, Coronavirus really <laughs> test gives up. Like oh fuck, <laughs> oh fuck, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! They yeah, give yeah. they just come out and they're just like hey. oh, fucked. We had a good run, everyone. From the pyramids till now, this is, this is our this is our new this is our new uh, high score. We got to space travel, but we lost. It's, Can you imagine that if it actually did say gives up? Oh, oh that would be the trigger, man. Good <laughs> like, night, oh, Irene, dude. Jesus Christ. Well, so, yeah, I saw a comment the other day. Somebody said, um, you know. The, with all these toilet paper hoarders and all the way that people are responding, it's no wonder the government doesn't want to tell us about aliens, right? <laughs> Can you just imagine? Yeah, yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw that. It was like, yeah. When you look at how we've responded to the the, the threat oh of coronavirus, God. yeah, you now know why we can't handle the UFOs. Yeah. Um, all right. So, anyways, um, what I want to do real quick is, uh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. we we kind of kick this can down the street. Um, I like to come back on, you know, as often as I can. What yeah, I want to yeah, do is, yeah, oftentimes absolutely. I come on, I want to kind of go through my book a little bit. Um, absolutely, badass. Yeah. And uh, well, I was going to say, go through, I was going to say today, today was an exception just because coronavirus is getting crazy. I wanted yeah, to touch on yeah. it. But yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, you know, what I want to do is go through the chapters, um, you know, and basically just kind of give you a fireside chat yeah, about the chapters yeah. right, without actually reading it, um, but. Uh, but uh, I still expect everybody to go out and buy the damn yeah, book. Fuck, yeah, fuck yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I've plugged it. They, they will, they will. Dude, you need, yeah. you need to do, you need to put it on Audible. 
you've, you've got to you've got to get it recorded. Even if you don't read it, you get a narrator to read it. You got to, man, because for me, when I go and see a book and it's not an audible, I just immediately, no matter how interesting the book is, I just say fuck it. Like, like I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, gonna no. get it. Like, I wanted to have you on, so I went and bought it and I read it. But for for anyone else, if it's not an audible, I'm just like fuck, I'm not reading it. I just I don't I don't have time. I got shit to do. When if it's if it's on Audible, I will listen to anything, dude. I've listened to yeah. the most boring books about FDR's childhood, shit I would never in a million years read. But because it's on Audible, well now I can. I got work to do. Sure, tell me about FDR's grandparents. I'll listen. I'll listen to yeah. anything. You got to do. No, you're right. You're right. And uh, you know I agree with you on that. So I just haven't. Uh, I just managed you you know, so many hours in the day, and that's it, man. You and, just uh, contact someone. Just, just, yeah, it's a matter. Of, you know, yeah, I want to do it, and I will. Um, you know, if you got any connections that can do it, great. Um, well, you know, I'm, well, I'm having know, whatever. I'm having on an author sometime in the next month that actually wrote the uh, wrote a book la- or called Raven Rock about all the nuclear bunkers and the government's mm. contingency plans, and he was actually the best selling book on Audible last year. So, but wow. if I can, if I if I can get him on, I'll uh, yeah, I'll ask him. And okay, he'll fucking know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, uh, I figured this would be a, a good way to kind of do that yeah. without you know, um, it's kind of impromptu. But uh, I want to start. You know, we'll, we'll talk about some other things in a little bit. But uh, I want to start off with the first chapter, basically. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> it was my phone flipping over again. <laughs> everyone's um, everyone's listening anyway, so. Okay, and uh, try to prop it up with something. But anyways, um, so I'm gonna go through the first chapter. This first chapter was uh, it's actually part of my one of the public speeches I give, right? And it has to really it's centered on um, it's centered on self leadership, okay, or you know auto leadership, and uh, it's you know also about uh, overcoming uh, adversity. So um, it's the chapter. It's the first chapter in my book, and um, it's actually true story and it it wasn't going to be a part of the book it just happened to happen while i was writing the book and almost published it Mm. the situation happened i'm like shit man i'm you know uh is there something that could be learned from this thing you know and so i I said yeah there is and that's why i put it in the opening of the book so um so here basically what this goes you know this, this is about is um and i won't pretend like you know when I give the speech, I don't tell people, the audience, where this situation is, what, where this incident happened. Um, but I lead them to believe that it happened in one place when it actually happened mm-hmm. in another, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of, at the end, kind of shocked, like, oh, mm-hmm. um, you know, wasn't expected that. In fact, in Las Vegas, when I gave this speech, um, my wife was telling me she was looking around and all the women are sitting there crying and boohooing at the end yeah. of this uh, of the speech. Um, and it was designed to be that way. Um, <clears throat> so, so with all that said, um, you know, and I'll try to keep this uh, kind of give you the Reader's Digest version, but to hit the do whatever you, to you it. do whatever you want. It's, uh, it, it, hey, the length of this podcast, this is entirely on you. I got nothing doing, Dale. You want to yeah. go for one hour? Okay. We'll do one hour. You want to go for 15 hours? We'll do 15 hours. It's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you, dude. So let's go. Yeah. So, okay. So here's what happened, man. So just kind of bear with me. All right. It was, it was a really cold night. Um, actually, it was around 3, 3.25 a.m. in the morning. Um Temperatures were about 27 degrees Fahrenheit. It was in the desert and uh, no illumination, and no moonlight. It was very, very dark. And I remember I was standing outside in the desert um, with another guy leaning up against the truck. And what we were doing is I was 
communicating with a guy, a SEAL, that was in a vehicle out in the desert. He was driving like an asshole, and uh, he wrecked the car, and he was and he, vehicle, and he was stranded out there, right? And so um, I basically called in a search and uh, rescue helicopter to come in and, and um, to help him out. So what happened was um, the helicopter was about a, a mile out. It was flying on orbit and uh, actually counterclockwise orbit. And I got on radio with him. I started communicating on that helicopter. Was a friend of mine. His name was Mike. Mike was a former Green Beret uh, Ranger. He was also in Delta with me. He wasn't an operator, but he was in Delta. And um, just a really good guy, man. We actually had a lot in common. Um, we both boxed together. Um, our wives at the time were Hispanic. You know, we had the same number of kids. Just a lot of uh, you know. We just you know just kind of got along really well. Mm. <clears throat> and. Uh, so he was inbound. I called him. I said, Mike, this is Dale. Um, you know, uh, you know, I got eyes on him, blah, blah, blah. He said, Roger that inbound. And, uh, and then I called the seal and said, Hey, you, um, you know, this is Dale stand by, you know, Starbird's inbound. Um, and so the expectation was from the seal that he was going to get, um, lifted out of there. And actually what was going to happen was Mike was going to dump him a rucksack with a bunch of survival gear in it. And we give him instructions how to get out of there. Right. So as the helicopter's approaching, I'm sitting there thinking, man, um, you know, I'm looking, I can see, you know, I can see the white colored sand, even though it was no illumination, I can see the white colored sand, and I could just see it speckled with sagebrush and, and, and stuff like that. And I was just thinking to myself, man, you know, there's probably Taliban hiding behind every one of those bushes waiting for the helicopter to come in at a hover so they can shoot it down because they've been getting pretty good at it. And, um, and then my mind was drifting and drifting and drifting. And, and then uh, I kind of had a flashback to Desert Storm. And I remember um, one of our, one of our uh, troops um, got in contact very deep inside Iraq and uh, they took casualties. And uh, so we, my team loaded up on um, four helicopters, basically 50 CH-53s. And uh, our, what we did is we flew in for about three hours just to get to them. And our job was to evacuate them out of there. Well, they were already surrounded. <clears throat> they had about a thousand Iraqi vehicles around them. And uh, so it was a hot exfil. It was literally so fast that when the birds landed, ramp was down, um, you know, we had two guys from each of my two guys from my team on each of the helicopters um got off pull security got the trucks on they just dro literally drove in the back of these c-53s and stood on the brakes and held it in place we didn't strap them down we didn't do anything and all the guys were on board <clears throat> um and then i remember my me and my teammate were like the last ones to collapse on the helicopter and uh you can't let you couldn't raise the ramp right so the ramp was still flat and um and the guy, remember the guys just stand on the brakes that's it and the helicopters take off and oh. there was no room for me to move forward of that vehicle i was and the vehicle was literally um all the way in the back of the ramp and there was probably maybe two feet between the back of the truck and the edge of the ramp right and so i'm hanging on the back of this truck with a guy just holding it down with his with his foot to break right and uh and hanging off for dear life and the other thing, it was like super cold. It was in February. Um, Iraq is probably one of the coldest places I've ever been on the planet at that time of year. Oh, and uh, and so here we are flying, you know, 100, 200 feet above ground level the entire way, trying to avoid radar and things like that. And uh, we got everybody loaded up. Um, helicopters started taking off. We started flying a little bit. And then I heard over the radio that, uh, um, you know, actually what happened was we flew over a SAM site, Iraqi SAM site. They painted us right away. As soon as they painted us, uh, the flares started shooting out of the back end of the helicopter, right? And uh, 
So when that happens, you know you're on the radar. And then next thing I know, I see about six heat-seeking missiles coming up the back end of my helicopter. And uh, they go shooting over the top end. They missed us, but they go over the top and explode in front of us. And uh, <clears throat> and then I hear it on the radio. I hear, um, I still remember, it's Corvette 1 and Corvette 2, a couple of fighters, uh, fighter jets were in the area. And uh, they were basically telling us, hey, you know, as soon as you guys clear the uh, – you know, clear that SAM site. We're coming in hot right behind you. They did, man. They came in right behind us and bombarded the shit out of these guys. Um, anyway, so I, I ended up standing on the back of this ramp for three hours, hanging, you know, gorilla gripping the ramp, hoping I don't fall out, fall asleep, or get shot off the back end or something crazy <laughs> happens. You know, the, the truck lurches backwards and pushes yeah. me off, you know. But uh, <laughs> finally, we, you know, so anyways, I'm having all these thoughts in my mind, right, while I'm standing there. And then I kind of snapped back into reality, and I saw the bird coming in. Um, he was at my... Five o'clock uh, position, you know, flying across to 11, uh, 11 o'clock position. And all I saw was a red and green uh, strobe lights blinking. It was, again, that's all I saw in the sky. It was about 80, about 200, 250 feet AGL, doing about 80 knots. And um, I had eyes on him. He was probably less than 30 seconds out from from uh, picking up uh, the, uh, you know, the, the stranded uh, seal. And uh as I looked over and I saw this helicopter, all of a sudden, to my shock and surprise, this thing literally fell out of the sky. I mean, I mean, just like was flying flat and level, also just did a nosedive down into this canyon. And uh, and my first thought was, holy shit, you know, that is one hell of a dive, you know? Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's really crazy because I happen to know that, one, the pilot is not flying on NVGs. I know that because earlier when I briefed them, we had a, a crew briefing, I asked him, I said, how do you intend to fly tonight? And, it, and he said, white, basically he said instruments, right? And uh, not even white lights and not NVGs. I said, well, how about NVGs? He goes, well, what's NVGs? I said, oh, shit. <laughs> right? yeah. I said, what? <laughs> you know, you don't know what NVGs are. Anyways, um, so he was flying without night vision goggles, without white light, flying instruments and, uh, you know, azimuth and elevation. And uh, also this thing just nosedived out of the sky into this canyon. And I started just instinctively counting 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. And then, you know, all I heard was, you know, it took a second because it was really cold that night. And where he went down in that canyon was about 300 meters from me. It took a second for me to hear anything. And I did. I heard like some kind of a crunching sound. Oh, and that's when I just realized, oh, shit, you know. And my the guy was standing next to me. Um, he was a support guy. He was like, he goes, Dale, did that helicopter just crash? And I'm like, and I didn't even have time to answer him. I just started running, right? Yeah. And I had a coal miner's light on. So did he. I turned that on and just so I wouldn't trip and fall all over everything and just started running that direction. Well, right before we got to the edge of the, the, the wadi and started going down to it, um, I, he was, you know, the other guy, his name was Rob. He was like, he goes, Dale, he goes, um, I don't, what do we, what do I do? What should we do? What was she, you know, he just panicking, man. He had no idea what to do. He's like, tell me it's never happened to me before. And he's asking for instructions and guidance, you know? And, uh, so I could, I could, you know, I mean, you know, the fear betrayed his voice, man. I knew he was scared yeah. to death. Right. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, you know, 
I told him, I said, go back to the base camp, which is about a half a mile, a mile away. I said, go back to the base camp. I said, get everybody, collect everybody up, get blankets, fire extinguishers, med bags. I said, and, and get them up here. We, we're going to need some help, like right now. So he actually vectored off. He didn't even follow me down the hill. And I never stopped. I'm mean, running and yelling this shit to him, right? And he, he took off, and I went down the hill, and it was like going into a black chasm, man. It was just so totally dark. And uh, I'm sliding down the hill, get to the bottom of the hill, and... Uh, and then I stop and and I'm trying to get my bearings and I just stop and I'm trying to hold my breath because I'm I'm trying to listen. If I can hear anything, I'm hearing nothing. It's just really silent. And um, so I said, okay. So I ran forward about another 20 meters and I stopped again and I'm still listening and I'm trying to look with my white and I'm looking for anything, man. And I'll see nothing out there. And but I did suddenly start smelling jet fuel, JP4, and. Uh, uh, and I, when I smelled it, I realized the bottom of my pants were soaked in jet fuel, right? And uh, so now I got jet fuel from the knees down in my pants from running through the sagebrush. <clears throat> and uh, so I moved forward another 10 feet or so, and I stopped and I looked, scanned to my left, and I saw about two foot of the tail boom of the helicopter land there. And then I saw what everything, you know, at that point, I, would, I knew I was in the debris field in the impact area. And there was nothing bigger than a shoebox land anywhere, right? Jesus. So I was like, holy shit. How hard, <laughs> so, how fast was it going when it hit? Do you know? Sorry to interrupt you. No, sorry. I, 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 think, I think it was doing about 80 knots. Sorry. I think it was doing about 80 knots. Jesus. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at myself for interrupting you. Keep talking. Sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm <laughs> coughing too because I got allergies, not uh, coronavirus. Yeah. But uh, um, anyways, yeah. About 80 knots, I think, is when he went in. Um, it was pretty fast uh, from at least 200 feet, maybe higher. And uh, I mean, he felt like a rock too. Uh, it was kind of freaky, but um, so then I scanned to my about my one o'clock position, and that's when I saw the the pilot, and I recognized him as a pilot right away because of the green flight suit, and uh, the way he's laying down, he was laying down where his feet are away from me, and his shoulders were pointed towards me, but his head looked like it was rolled up underneath his chest, really awkward looking position. So I ran right to him, and when I got to him. You know, remember I had a coal miner's light on, so I got just, you know, focused light. And uh, and so I, I grabbed him by the shoulders, and I, I remember rolling him to my left. And when I did, to my shock and surprise, I mean, I wasn't expecting this, but he had been decapitated. And, oh, uh, and so, wow. you know, and I'm just covered now, you know, as my hands are covered in, you know, tissue and things like that, you know. And I just kind of stood up and gasped. I'm like, holy shit, was not ready for that. Um, and... Uh, and that's when it really Holy strikes you, man. Like, you know, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is this is bad. And uh, you know, it's already bad, but now it's like it really, you know, knocks you to your knees. And at that point, you know, you, you know, for me, it was like, man, do I just sit down here and just wait for everybody to show up and just kind of, you know, have a meltdown? Or and then I thought, no, you know. And I remember, <clears throat> I remember some words from my OTC instructor when I went to the operator training course in Delta. Um, I'll never forget, but it was back in 1996, Craig Maxson, we call him Mad Max, Vietnam vet, SF guy, little short guy, big bushy red mustache, you know, I used to think of him as Yosemite Sam, he had a little attitude all the time, but uh, he's a little hard charger, man, he's a tough little son of a bitch, man, but um, he would always yell at us when we were training, you know, and he would tell us, run the situation, don't let it run you, and uh, and so that moment when I just about had a, you know, I kind of stalled for a second, those words came to my mind, you know, run the situation, don't let it run you. Mm. And uh, and right away, I kind of got re-energized and, uh, and got back into the game. 
So I knew there was nothing I could do for him. I stood up, scanned to my right about four o'clock, about 15 feet away is when I saw Mike's land there, Mike body, Mike's body. So I ran to Mike and, uh, you know, again, he was covered in jet fuel. His clothes was soaked in jet fuel. Um, he had on, I still remember a brown fleece jacket. It was just soaked, man, like a sponge. And, uh, but he wasn't dead. <clears throat> um, when I got to him, he was still breathing, um, very slowly, very labored, um, it is almost like you know he was in the final throw he was in the final throes of dying and uh and he was just a mess and i won't go into all the gory details but um you know he had sustained some major damage to his face and to his head mm -hmm. and um the blow was just you know trickling out of the back of his head like a like a stream and uh, i mean i couldn't even abate i couldn't do anything man it's like holy cow and uh, he was choking um really bad so I, I i grabbed him by his body and kind of wanted to roll him on his side to clear the airway and uh and then again i still remember when i grabbed his body you could just feel man all the you know everything was broken man just like a bag of marbles or a bag of potatoes oh. i could, so i got him rolled to his side and and uh try to clear the airway and uh, i'm trying to balance him and i'm trying to encourage him i'm talking to him and i'm doing it whatever i can with all I have is my hands. In fact, I had on a super thin jacket and I'm freezing my ass off right now. It's 27 degrees. And, uh, but I had nothing to hit, you know, to uh, stem the bleeding, um, uh, or anything, man, just what I had my, my hands, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and so at this point, we're probably several minutes into the event and there's no help coming anywhere. And, uh, and I'm like, crap, man. And I, I'm balancing Mike, and I know I'm missing one more guy. And uh, I don't know where he is. And I'm like, you know, I got to make a call here. Let me get Mike on his side, at least clear the airway. And then maybe I can get up and kind of scan around fine for the third guy, you know, and, and maybe I can help him, you know, whatever. you know. But uh, I knew time was important. So, um, so I remember after that, I was balancing Mike, and – and I yelled out as loud as I could in the desert, man. I said, I got two. I'm missing one. Somebody help me. Right. Hoping that somebody would dial into my voice and come, you know, can come vector in on me. And uh, and I'm yelled as loudly. And uh, but there's nobody coming. I can. I mean, I'm out in the middle of the desert. You know, there's no lights. There's no talk. I can hear nothing coming. It's just eerily quiet. And, uh, you know, in the cold, too, you know, sound travels. And, uh, you know, and. I had nothing. I heard nothing. Saw nothing. And it was just pitch black, you know. And so I'm scanning around with my coal miner's light, you know, and I'm seeing shadows everywhere and, and stuff, but there's nobody coming. And then the most bizarre thing happened to me is um, I'm sitting there, you know, trying to figure out, okay, let me get him stable, um, you know, get your breath, and then, you know, try to find the other guy real quick. And then you're basically going to have to you know, balance your care between probably two guys if the other one's alive, right? And uh, as I'm sitting there, the weirdest thing happened. Um, I was actually on one knee, and I was holding Mike up. I had my leg propped up behind his back to hold him on his side. Um, out of the open desert, in a completely opposite direction of where the base camp was located, this woman walks out of the desert, and I saw her through my light, okay? Um, she just all of a sudden just appears. And doesn't even stop. Just walks right past you within a couple of feet. I mean, I could have reached out and grabbed her leg, right? And uh, she's just moving like with a purpose. Boom, 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 boom. Walks right past me about 10, 15 feet. And then all of a sudden stops. And I hear her gasp. And, and then she turned right around and walks right past me. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't look back. Doesn't do Just walks right back out where she came from. And she's gone. And I was like standing for a second like, 
man, what was that about? Well, yeah. What is that? You know, it's like, you know, and I turn around and look and, uh, and I, when I looked further back, I saw the third, third man laying there. I go, holy shit, you know? And, you know, my, my thought was, well, was this like some kind of an angel trying to help me yeah. or what, yeah. what's going on here? Right. I had no idea where this person came from or where they went. And so I got up, I bounced Mike on the side. And I remember telling Mike, Hey man, hang in a brother. You know, I'll be right back. I'm going to check on one more guy, but I'll be right back. You know, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe he can hear me, even yeah. though he's not conscious, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, he can hear me. And, uh, and so I go back and I find the third guy, um, and he's laying, he's laying on his back and, and the position he's in, um, just, uh, you know, it, it was pretty gross. And, uh, I, it was obvious right when I looked down, he was, he was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there was absolutely nothing I was going to be able to do for this guy. And so I ran back to Mike and uh, I noticed Mike was breathing, was getting even slower and slower. And, uh, at this point I'm probably four to five minutes into the event and still nobody has shown up except for that you know that person or whoever that was right and then um uh, probably about 30 seconds after i got back to mike he finally just stopped breathing and that was it it was all over and uh i was like wow i just kind of stood up and uh just kind of stood there for a second all of a sudden a medic an emt come I mean, comes sliding in like the home base with his aid bag, you know, yeah. and he's like, you know, he's all on fire, you know, and he's jumping around, he jumps on Mike, and I like, hey, dude, I said, uh, it's all over, brother, yeah. you know, it's, it's over, man, and, uh, and he's working, you know, trying to, you know, and he's trying to, you know, assess Mike, and, and, uh, and I'm just standing there looking at Mike, and I'm, I'm in the middle of three bodies, you know, and um, I remember sitting there looking down at Mike, um, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You might want to timestamp that. Because right. we have to... What's going on, man? Shelf fell. What, my shelf? <laughs> oh, shit. Rack. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, so, EMP so guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm standing there and, uh, you know, looking down at, uh, you know, those three men. And uh, I remember thinking, holy cow, man, that's actually supposed to be me laying there, not Joe. I mean, not Mike. And... Uh, because what happened was earlier that day, um, I was actually supposed to fly in a helicopter, and uh, I was going to be part of that SAR package, and uh, I was going to deliver, you know, the rucksack and stuff like that, right? And so, um, in, the, in the last second, we made the decision um, to switch places, and uh, I would go out and be part of the uh, the ground party. And uh, he would just basically get on the helicopter and, and dump rucks out the door. So that was the that's how that played out. And um, and why did all that play out? Well, so what people don't realize is, um, you know, everybody's first thought is, oh man, it must have happened in Afghanistan, yeah. blah blah blah. But actually, this happened uh, north of California, uh, north of Los Angeles in the desert, um, on the set for Discovery Channel. Yeah. We were actually filming a TV show called called Lone Operator, and um, Mike was there, uh, Joe Ted I was there, and um, and you know this whole this whole thing you know played out like that. And uh, of course, the show never aired because of that. You know, it was just a disaster. Um, to this day, nobody knows why the helicopter crashed. Um, you know, this the guy that was flying a helicopter was from a very reputable helicopter company. That's what they do is they fly for Hollywood and stuff like that. And uh, he's got a, he had a lot of airtime, and they could 
I mean, everybody came out there, you know, that's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, the federal aviation, you know, they all came out and, NTSB. you know, they, yeah, they grabbed, you know, your recorders and black boxes. And actually it's pretty interesting, you know, how they uh, analyzed the record. Um, just from the sounds of from the black box, they can tell how fast the helicopter, you know, RPMs and uh, the sounds, the speed, and they can they can pretty much from there figure out okay what happened was it a mechanical issue did something break apart um, and for, as far as I know, they never were able to figure out the cause of the crash. My personal opinion is the the pilot was, you know, he was not an old man, but uh, I would say he was probably late 50s, 60s, something like that. And uh, my my thing is, I think he probably had, a, went unconscious, maybe had a heart attack or something and, and kind of leaned forward on that yoke and just drove that thing nose down because the way it came down, like so suddenly, like, wow. You know, that's the only thing I, I think, that's yeah. my, you know, that's my, you know, unprofessional opinion, I guess. But uh, to this day, nobody knows why that that bird went down. But anyways, that happened. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of lessons that came out of that. Um, First of all, nobody wanted to come to the crash site and uh, from the rest of the crew that was out there. And the reason why they didn't want to come out to the crash site is because um, earlier that day, um, the, the pilot actually gave a, uh, a crew briefing, right? Basically said, listen, you know, okay, you know, he's got to give the briefing. The helicopter crashes, don't come near it because, you know, spinning parts and blades, fuel, fire, blah, 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 right? And, uh, and so, you know, he went through his whole briefing, you know, and and so, you know, being in the military as long as I have, you know, I, uh, I've i heard the crew briefings before and I also know, well, that, you know, that thing crashes, you know, yeah. some of us that are out there coming, you know, yeah. we're, you know, uh, we're not going to stand back, but everybody else was just mortified by that whole thing. You know, they're like, you know, they couldn't imagine running into the mouth of madness yeah. to deal with this stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, because they'd never been exposed to it. I mean, these are... They're all civilians, man. You know, I mean, they're all civilians from, you know, especially from the Los Angeles area, man. This is like, whoa, you know, this only happens in movies, not yeah. actually happens on the movie. You know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, uh, and so, um, so there was a lot of that going on. And, uh, and you know, they were pretty, uh, people were pretty outdone by all of that, you know. And uh, I still remember, man, finally, uh, you know, I, I, after a few minutes, Joe Ted, I was probably at least, a couple of kilometers away on a hilltop and he picked Mike I'm running down there and he's like, Dale, Dale, sit rep. And uh, I remember telling him, I said, Joe, they're all gone, brother. Cause I knew he was good friends with Mike also, you know? Jesus. And um, I said, they're all gone, brother. And, um, and then a few seconds later, the seal that we were going to recover, cause this was all part of the script, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he comes down, finally he makes it down there and, and, uh, and it's freezing ass cold, man. And, uh, he wants to cover up the bodies with his jacket. And uh, I, I like, dude, I said, don't. I said, just, you know what? Keep your jacket on. It's way too cold. Mm. You're going to hypothermia out here. You know, it is what it is, you know. And uh, they actually got mad at us. The, uh, the fire marshal came out there. Um, and uh, we actually covered up, like, one of the bodies with a little bit of the fuselage that we found. Because he's, you know, laying there without his head, you know. Yeah. Of course, that, that guy flipped out. You know, who's dark to the evidence? And, like, you know, and he was crying. Yeah. The fire marshal was cr literally crying like a baby. Yeah. He had just come unhinged, man. Hey, you know, he, and uh, like, damn, dude, you're the fire marshal. And he's an older guy. It's yeah. like, you need to freaking, you tell him you've never been through this before. And yeah. even if you haven't, you know, you got to show some, uh, some fortitude, yeah. you know. 
And uh, and I actually, I told him to shut the fuck up, man. It's like you know what, and stop. You know, get a grip, man. You yeah. that way you 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 know you're not helping a situation right now. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so, anyways, um, so that was that. You know that scenario. But what came out of all that? You know, the lessons learned. Uh, not really lessons for me so much, but lessons for other people because that's why I put it in the book. Um, is um, you know, so people can learn something from that. You know, there's teachable moments in everything in life. You know, the good and the bad. Um, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta find them and identify them. Um, one is, you know, that what that call for that that situation called for action right away. Um, you know, and it even though I was by myself, um, I actually worked with the other guy at first, and I basically, uh, you know, um, dispatched him to bring the rest of the crew up. Um, it was it was a good call. He wouldn't have done me any good down there. He probably lost his shit anyways. Mm-hmm. He got there and he saw that. But uh, you know, basically on the run, I'm task organizing. Go back there, do this, get these guys. This is what we need. Blah blah blah. And while I continued moving forward and uh, and and doing the search, so part of it's leadership. You know, it's uh, that is part of leadership. I had to take the lead and had to direct this guy what to do so that I can get to the end of this thing. Um, as, best as we can you know and maybe save some lives um and then uh you know the other thing is you know self-leadership what i call auto leadership which i talk a lot about in my coaching um you can't first of all it had nothing to do you know leadership even if you're not leading anybody you got to learn how to lead yourself Hmm. and um you know if you can't lead yourself you'll never succeed in anything you do in life nothing you're a follower okay Hmm. you're a zebra or a gazelle you just walk along with the herd, wherever they go, that's where you're going because you don't have to think, you don't have to lead. You just got to follow along and sniff everybody's ass flow, and eat grass yeah. along the way, man. That's all you got to do, right? And so, um, you know, if you want to succeed in life, you know, you want to be in the front leading that herd, um, or you want to go to greener pastures, you want to do better things in life, then you need to you need to break away from that herd and blaze your own trail mm. um, or figure out how you're going to get in front and take that leadership position. Um, so, but you can't ever do that if you don't understand leadership tenets and principles, right? So um, that's a big part of my coaching, but, you know, this is an example where, um, you know, you got to, you, I had to lead myself, which I have no problem with that. You know, I've led plenty of people in my life, um, and uh, you know, I can lead myself. I knew what I needed to do, but there was a moment there where I had to had a pause for a second. Like, holy shit, I had to take. I wasn't ready for this, mm. and um, and I had to do what I had to um, run the situation, not yeah, let it run me, yeah. right? And so I, I was able to pull myself back together and uh, get back on the gas, um, and so you know. Th- there, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, if you if you pay attention that you can learn, you know, about people, you know, for example, everybody else, um, not saying they were cowards, um, and I'm pretty sure if there were some other people in that group at the base camp and they would happen to be there with me, they would have come with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure of that. You know, there's always there's always some, um, but you know, courage, um, you know, it's it's a matter of uh, you know facing your fears and doing what it needs to be done anyways in spite of all that right and there's a difference between courage and fearlessness um, the, cur- the courageous person overcomes his 
he becomes overcomes that fear anyways mm-hmm. and does what he needs to do, right? The fearless person is too stupid to realize yeah. he's in trouble and does dumb shit, right? And yeah. that's, that's most teenage boys, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, we're fearless, right? Yeah. And then we grow up and we get courageous and go, that ah, was a dumb idea. Yeah, was Jumping stupid. off the roof of that house, you know, that was a bad idea yeah. all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and we wouldn't do it at our age, you know? Yeah. Uh, we might do it once and break a leg, but, you know, we're not inclined to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's kind of, you know, um, a little bit about that story. Um, and so that's, you know, how that leads into the, you know, the rest of the book, you know. And uh, but to me, that was, a, you know, it's an important life lesson because we all think that it could never happen to us. We could never be in that situation. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is, uh, you know, relegated to warfare. And, mm. and uh, it's always that guy who has to worry about it. It's yeah. never me. Just like yeah. this coronavirus yeah. crap right now. Who the hell saw that coming, you know? Yeah. Well, it'll never happen, you know? And, uh, and even now, right, the lemmings are out there buying toilet paper because there's no way anybody would come after me with a gun and take my toilet paper and my, you know, my, uh, you know, my ravioli and, yeah. and, and, and my coconut. Coca-Cola's right. Um, well, I got bad news for you, man. If this thing drags on, as we talked about earlier, and uh, the supply trains slow down or start getting uh, interdicted, um, you see, you know, power outages. You see the internet starting to go in and out. You start, to, dude. If I was China, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be freaking hammering our freaking internet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd be, you know, as soon as you do that, man, it's. Uh, you know, people are going to go, oh, oh, this is now you've cut off the lines of communication. You've cut off lines of it for yeah. information. And when people are in the dark, you know, and they're starting to go down, am I going to get anything to eat too? That's when people start really, you know, they lose their shit. And so, um, but hey, it could still happen. We're, we're, we're just now, you know, getting into this thing. So, um, you know, but, um, you know, it's, you know, and this is what I like to do. I, I want to help people. I want to teach people. Um, and the only way you can really uh, learn how to cope with anything in life is, you know, we fear the unknown. That Most people are afraid of shit because they don't understand. All, everybody's afraid of guns. Guns are bad. Guns will kill people. No, guns don't kill people. People kill people. They, guns are instrument, just like a knife, a car. You know, hell, I'll kill you with a shovel, man. You know, it's, it's just a tool, man. And, uh, hell, I'll kill you with a spoon if I had to. Um, so, you know... And so they fear what they don't understand, right? They they somehow think that it's the gun, right? It's got some kind of demonic uh, Mm -hmm. uh, spirit to it that possesses people that are around it and it makes makes them pick the gun up and shoot people, right? Um, It shows you the level of naivety, the level of stupidity um, and gullibility by a large part of our population. Um, So, you know, we fear what we don't understand, but once we understand it, Okay, we learn how to cope, right? And that's what it comes down to, coping. How do we cope with uh, things that we don't understand? Well, we have to, there's three ways to learn how to cope, okay? One is through knowledge, right? Whether it's through academia, going to school and, and learning, you know, understanding, you know, for example, this coronavirus, right? If you went to school and you were, a, um, you know, some type of a biochemist or bioengineer, right, or virologist or something like that, like you would probably not be worried or as intimidated, right? Mm-hmm. Like I understand how this works, you know, and what's possible and what's not. Mm-hmm. But to the average layman, he's like, oh my God, the virus might as well be, you know, freaking, you know, King Kong in his yeah. mind. You yeah, know, that's going to crush yeah. us, right? And so, um, so we learn how to cope if we have knowledge, okay? Um, what I call academic knowledge, okay? Schoolhouse knowledge. The other way we learn how to cope is through experience, right? If we experience something enough times, like, you know, I've been down this road before, I, I know what, you know, I'm up against and uh, I know what to fear and what not to fear, right? Um, and, you know, experience comes in a lot of forms. To be, it depends on what you want to do. Uh, if you're in a gunfight enough times, you know, 
you're not the first before you ever get in a gunfight for the first time i can tell you you always you're going to ask yourself what will i do if yeah. i get in a gunfight yeah can i shoot back can i fight back we all talk shit like yeah i'll yeah. blow his head off right that's what yeah. we think until you're actually it's easy to do that behind your computer um or in the safety of your bedroom you know yeah. your covers or your bed but um when you're actually out there and it's like damn i'm gonna face another man with a gun yeah and he's gonna try to kill me and i have to try to kill him can I go out and face this guy or do I want to run and hide, yeah. you know, and do I just want to fall on my knees and give up and hope he doesn't shoot me in the face? Yeah. You know what? People do that. They, you can get on YouTube. You can see it all the time. I mean, I've got video of where people literally, literally just surrender themselves and die for it. You know, so they, don't, yeah. there's no, they have no fighting spirit in them and because uh, they just don't understand. Like I, I watched, um, <clears throat> I watched a guy dig his own grave, right? And uh, after he literally dug his own grave, you know, he they asked, they told him lay down the grave, right? And then the guy walks up with a machete, and he basically starts hacking him up inside the grave, right? He's gonna chop him into pieces and bury him. And so I'm thinking, and he just laid there and took it. This guy whacking the shit out of him, right? You're not gonna die with one machete blow unless it just happened to be a good shot across yeah. your throat or your neck. But uh, even then, you, you got some, you still have a chance, right? And uh, the guy just laid there and he took took the whacking until he was dead. And I'm like, man, you know what? If you if you understood that you can you can take a lot of wax from a machete, you're not necessarily going to die, you know, unless yeah. this guy penetrates, you know, you know, eight to twelve inches into your body, or he cuts a vital artery, um, you know, you you got a fighting yeah. chance, you know. And so he didn't have that knowledge, right? He certainly didn't have that experience, and you can't acquire that experience, right? How are you going to train for that? Okay, mm. we're going to train on, you know, you're going to you're going to make me dig a grave and then you're going to attack me with your machete and I'm going to fight back, <laughs> yeah. right? And how do you train for that, right? Yeah. Even with a plastic machete, it doesn't work. You've got to have, you've got to be committed to um, to fight, okay? And basically what you have to do now is you have to impose your will on them because mm. they've already imposed it on you. You've got to turn that tide, man. You're going to have to reach deep and grab your balls yeah. and um, and fight. So that's the second way is experiential knowledge, right? So academic knowledge, experiential knowledge. Um, and then the third one, I like to think of it as um, uh, hypothetical experiences, right? So it's the what if scenarios, right? That you can't train for, you can't learn in, uh, in school. Um, and I, I give a lot of examples of that personally in my own life where, you know, for example, um, I think we talked about the helicopter crash before where, you know, how do you train for a helicopter crash? You know, you, you, you don't, yeah. right? I mean, it's, you got to fall out, guy's going to crash, things are going to break into a lot of pieces, yeah. and maybe even you're going to break into a lot of pieces, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, that's one of those things you can't really train for. When it ha You just hope you're ready for it when it happens, you know, and so it happens. Um, but what you can do is enhance your survivability, right, by thinking ahead. Um, we know the, the helicopter crash. I always thought, what if this thing crashed? What would I do? You know, and I remember going mentally rehearsing. I'll take my hat off. I'll take my weapon off. I'll take my load bearing equipment off. I'll take a knee, reach up, grab the red cargo rings. And then, uh, you know, I hope that's enough to help you know, minimize impact for me. And if I do survive, at least I'm not being, um, you know, anchored down with all my equipment, and my weapon and stuff inside mm -hmm. the wreckage. But, right. And then and when it actually happened. Yeah which was totally unexpected, I did exactly what I always mentally rehearsed. Hat off, weapon off, load-bearing equipment off, take a knee, grab the red cargo rings, and hang on for the ride. Um, actually, if I had not hung on to the red cargo rings, I probably would have fell out of the helicopter because yeah. um, the helicopter actually rolled to the side. I remember hanging out of the helicopter, looking straight down at the ground, hanging on by the red cargo rings. So, um, <clears throat> so you know, and how do we do that? And, okay, so, so that's an example, right? Another example is um, 
you know, you're always mentally, you should always be mentally rehearsing, um, you know, especially when it comes to self-defense. And, uh, you know, for example, if I'm going to walk down a street, maybe I'm in Ford City and uh, it's dark outside and I'm going to walk down the street, I'm passing alleyways. Um, am I going to walk right up against the wall as I go through, as I pass the corner? Um, a lot of people will do that and they'll be on their cell phone texting while they do that. And then somebody just grabs them around the neck, pulls them in, beats the shit out of them or whatever, mm-hmm. and robs them or rapes them and kills them. Um, and so what I have to do, what I train myself to do is I'm approaching the corner. Um, I keep always keep my head up. I'm not texting. I take a wide, a wide berth around mm-hmm. the, the corner and I'm pieing it off as I'm walking around the corner with my eyes. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm clearing the corner as I pass it, right? So nobody's going to jump out and surprise me, okay? Mm-hmm. At least I've given myself distance, okay? That reaction we call reactionary gap. Um, and uh, so I've given myself space to respond, react to anything that comes out. And I already have in my mind have contingencies. Okay, if the guy comes out with a gun, what am I going to do? Um, I have to assume if he's got a gun in his hand, he's going to pull it out, that he he will shoot me. Okay, mm-hmm. otherwise he's not going to pull it out. And so I have to just, I cannot assume that he's not going to shoot me mm-hmm. because a lot of people do that and they die for that, right? Mm-hmm. So if I see the gun, it's going to be game on and I'm going to have to respond. Now, I've got techniques for weapons disarming. Um, I also carry a weapon. I doubt if I, I can get my gun out as faster than the guy's already got a gun trained on me, but there's things I can do to um, mitigate that uh, that threat to me. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, then I, you know, I think about, uh, you know, what if it's a knife? What if it's a, a linear weapon? You know, how would I be swinging at me? What am I going to do? Right. So I've had, I already have the contingency for that. I see it in my mind's eye. <clears throat> so if it, if it happens, it bears out. I'm not just standing, you know, like the, with the you know, the, the proverbial deer in the headlight, right? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And it's done. And that's actually a, um, that's actually a response, a, a, um, a primal response that we have, you know, we talk about the fear, you know, fight and flight syndrome. <clears throat> and what that is, is basically, uh, we tend to, when we're shocked and surprised, it takes our system, you know, a microsecond to, um, inject adrenaline into our system and basically uh, change everything, our metabolic rate and put us into the fight or flight uh, yeah. mode. Right. <clears throat> and so it's called stress shock phenomena. So, you know, understanding that I'm already behind the eight ball. If that guy comes out, he's already, uh, he's already at least one step ahead of me. Uh, it's going to take me a second to change gears. Mm-hmm. So he, now he's two steps ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's dictating the pace and, and the, uh, and the fight. And, uh, he's and the only the way situation. I'm going to keep up with him and overrun him, is I already have to have a contingency plan where I don't have to think about it. I just react, yeah. right? And through and how and I react because of what I teach again, autogenic conditioning. It's a form of uh, mental rehearsals and visualizations. It's already ingrained in my nervous system, um, so you know I can respond much faster. I've already thought it through even even before I walk up to that corner. If I've never rehearsed it before on the way up, I've already in my mind I already come up with my contingency mm. plan, and it's it's already sitting on there, the shelf yeah. ready to be implemented. Yeah. Right, a boilerplate response, so to speak. Um, Anyway, so I'm kind of getting off a little bit of a tangent there, but uh, um, and this kind of falls into you know what I do as far as you know performance coaching and things like that. You know, I kind of like to get into the uh, the science of it. That's why I call it um, you know psychosomal engineering, mind body engineering, and uh, so you know that's kind of uh, that's kind of my little story. Um, you know about my book, American Badass. Um, you know. Again, the book's not about being a, a badass. Um, it, it's actually, you know, and I always have to say this with tongue in cheek. It's about being a good ass, right? Yeah. So being a good guy, being a good patriot, good, you know, a good father, you yeah. know, good, you know, the, all those things, right? That's what makes you a good ass, doing all the right things, even when people aren't looking. Um, and so that's what I try to uh, 
you know, basically I try to share with everybody. And, um, you know, there's a lot of humility in the book. Um, I laugh at myself. I, you know, I, I don't have a problem telling you I fucked something up, you know. Um, you know, you know, I'm human, right? Yeah. So um, it's the fact that I can tell it that makes me a better man, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Um, I, I, don't have to go, I don't have to go around fake the shit and lie about it, you know, and cover it from my ass. Like, I screwed up, I screwed up, yeah. you know. You know, I'm, hey. Yeah. So what? Does yeah. it make me? Does it make me weak or you know, uh, any way inferior? Yeah. Uh, it actually makes me superior because yeah. you know what? Growing and and evolving and success is based on making mistakes and yeah. recognizing your mistakes. That's how you grow and learn. Yeah. You don't grow and learn by never making mistakes. You, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. know, you're not, you have never matured yet in whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Okay, you you just made it this far um, without, without fucking up, without yeah. the downfall. Yeah. But you're gonna fuck it up. Yeah, yeah it's gonna happen to you. Yeah, you know? and so um, I'd rather do it up front than, uh, than on the back end. Yeah. So uh, anyway, let me get a sip of my coffee here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my go juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta uh, yeah, you gotta own the fuck ups because it's like it's like there's two types. There's like the people that are fucked up and there's liars because everyone's yeah. fucked up. There's, it's if yeah. you said you haven't fucked up, then that just means you're lying, or that you've just oh, like you've lucked out so far. You just haven't come yeah. across like oh, okay, it's because you're ten years old. You haven't experienced life yet. Fuck yeah. ups are coming. Well, yeah. So um, going full circle, you know. So the whole idea, you know, about the story is, um, you know, why do people? Some people respond, some people don't respond. It has to do with coping. Um, and if you want to cope with things in life, no matter what it is, you're going to have to get knowledge. You're going to have to gain the knowledge. You know, and there's three ways to do it. You can do it through all three means or one means, but you need to find that knowledge. It's either through academia, it's either through experience, or it's through hypothetical experience. What if and shit, and create your scenarios. Uh, the third one is. It's the one that's really directly linked to autogenic conditioning. Um, you can you can develop a nervous system um, so that you can you know respond to stress and cope with with situations. Um, of course, if you're in if you're uh, immersed in experience events as well, the problem with them, you know you learn from that as well. But uh, you know, and and it's a it's a quick uh, you know it's a steep learning curve, but. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that, and of course, academia. If you if you have all three of those, then you should be able to handle most stresses in life. And uh, fortunately, I'm at at a place where I think I can deal with most things. Um, you know, except the things that I wasn't ready for, wasn't prepared for. And then, you know, I have enough experience that I'm not too put off by anything. I'm not intimidated by anything. Um, I, things that scare most people don't scare me um, because I understand. I understand the bigger picture behind everything, you know. So, anyways, the whole idea, I guess the teaching point here is, uh, um, you know, learn how to cope. If you learn how to cope, you can you have confidence to deal with any situation, right? Mm. And uh, that's what it comes down to, you know, overcome your fears through through knowledge and experience. Mm. Um, and so that was the idea there with this this event, you know, was to teach people, you know, not to not to um, you know, make them look bad or feel bad or feel stupid, you know. I uh, could have easily went out there and said, where were you guys at? How come you didn't come and help me, you yeah. bunch of pussies? Right? Yeah. I could have did that and, uh, you know, and made myself, you know, look really good. Like, I had to do all that by myself. Yeah. But that, wasn't, that wasn't the point. You know, the point was, you know, I get it. Um, I'm mature enough. I've been through enough to see it that I understand why that happened. And uh, no fault of their own. It's just the environment and the society we live in, man. We live in a society of snowflakes, hmm. you know. 
I mean, kids nowadays don't know how to change a tire on a car. Um, you know, I mean, they just don't know a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. Ironing clothes? What do you mean iron my clothes, yeah. you know? Uh, all the things that, you know, I grew up with, it's like, what? that's just foreign to them, right? And so they're, they're used to a life of everything being handed to them, you know, expeditiously on a hot now. Um, they don't have to, you know, I mean, that's the problem we're having in this world, in this country is, especially with this whole stupid socialist movement. You look at all these millennials that support socialism and Bernie Sanders. I mean, they don't want to work. They want it for free. And they yeah. think they're entitled to it. They think they earned it somehow. And, uh, and it's like, this is bad news for us. Um, it's never worked. Because, Everyone always ends uh, up dead. 125 yeah. million people in the 20th century dead. Yeah, you're gonna socialism. exactly, man. It, I mean, goddamn, look at look at uh, you know Venezuela, China, Russia. These are shining examples of how that does not exactly. work. Um, America's in the shining example is a shining example how hard work actually does work yeah. and, and 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 helps you you know uh, with a create a better life for yourself and give you that freedom um, and enjoy your freedom, you know. And, and then there's always the you know the one on the side. Oh, you couldn't have done it without slavery, or you could have done it without this, or you could have done it without that, and you know, you owe us and man, man, man. It's like, you know, come on, you know, with, with every society, there's always, you know, these other things that, yeah, it's, okay. Sorry that happened, Skeletons in the just, closet. but it's part of the, it's just part of the growth, man. You know, yeah. um, nothing's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, we, I mean, we can point fingers at everybody and anybody around the world, man. Um, but you know, we still, you know, we're lucky to live here. Um, you know, even with all of its flaws, and there's a lot of its flaws. Flaws. I'd be the first one to tell you, man. The, you know, our legal system is just that—a legal system. It's not a, a justice system. There's no justice in it. Mm. Um, it's all bullshit. And uh, I can speak all day alone on that one. I have a real disdain for our legal system, uh, just because of the way it treats uh, certain people, and I'd be per- myself included. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, aside from and, and it's really, not, and to be honest with you, it's really no different than any third world legal system. I've been there. Okay, I've lived in over 87 countries, and I've seen the legal systems, right? Yeah. It's always the same. It's always corrupt. It's always about money. Yeah. It's about lawyers getting rich, judges making money, you know, keeping the institution alive with money, you know, states profiting from people. See, I can go all day long with this crap, you know. It's, it's uh, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, you know. And so you, you can try to change it. Good luck, you know, especially if you're just one person, or you can figure out how to navigate through it all. Mm come out on the other end and be uh you know and be happy and be free and and, um, and enjoy some type of uh some type of success um that's what i choose to do um and uh you know that doesn't mean it's always going to work for me it hasn't always worked for me but uh you know you are the key to your own happiness hmm. and uh you know at the end of the day you know it's a choice okay yeah it's hard to be happy when some somebody's holding you down or put you in jail but uh, it's all about mindset, you yeah. know, and um, and how you how you choose to deal with things, how you choose to respond and react, um, and that's why I always, you know, you know, it's like everybody wants to blame what happened to them when they were a kid. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to blame their parents. They want to blame the other guy for you know whatever. You know, nobody wants to take any personal responsibility. Oh, it's the economy, you know, and you know I don't, you know, whatever, man. Yeah. You know what, dude? I've seen enough high achievers come out of. Sh- I mean, I got one good friend, man. He lived on the streets of Las Vegas, man. And uh, and within 10 years, he was one of the top 1% income earners. You know, I can go on all day about this yeah. guy. You know, he's this great success story. Um, you know, I, can, I have a lot of these kind of stories, you know. And, uh, you know, your life is what you make of it and the choices you make. Life is a series of compromises. Mm. That's what it comes down to, you mm. know. And, 
and people make bad choices, bad compromises, you know, and they own it. If, yeah. if you own it, you can learn from it and you can, yeah, you know, and you can continue yeah. to grow. But if you own it, don't want to own it, you want to blame everybody else. You go back to being what the follower I talked yeah. about earlier, you yeah. know, or leader. Right. Yeah. And so anyways, yeah, I'm throwing a whole lot of stuff out there. No, about, dude, not uh, at all. No, it's, know, there's no, there's uh, no leadership sh- and things like that. Yeah. But, um, anyways, so, <laughs> um, it's kind of, uh, you know, there's my story and yeah. a little bit about what I'm doing, man. And yeah. uh, what I'd like to do is, um, uh, you know, do, I'll do some more of these these uh, stories with these lessons learned. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. share some of the stuff about uh, the coaching that I'm doing and some of these other programs I'm involved in. Um, like survival is going to be a big thing, right? So here's the funny part. Um, so five years ago, I made a survival series of DVDs, right, on surviving this type of situation. Not right. surviving in the wilderness, eating yeah. nuts, right? Yeah. No, eating squirrel nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eating the squirrel's nuts. Yeah, eating the squirrel's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, like but actually, it was urban type, uh, you know, this type of survival, right? What happens if there's an apocalyptic event? Mm. You know, I, I back then I used the Ebola virus as an example. You know, which fizzled <laughs> out really fast. You know, yeah. but I, I had a vision that you know this is it's going to happen, and it's, it's going this day is this doomsday stuff is going to be prevalent. It's going to continue to happen. Mm. One day we might actually have a real major doomsday event. Yeah. Um, now this is not a major doomsday event, I don't think, um, but the the response is making it that right, and so um, and so. I created these DVDs on for that purpose, right? How do you, you know, how do you prepare yourself? You know, prepare your family. How do you, you know, bug out bags, uh, planning, you know, contingency planning, self defense, and around the house with weapons. Teach your kids how to use weapons to defend themselves. And then if everything goes to shit, and you got to bug out. You know, prepping the vehicles. Um, you know, um, where are you going to go? You know, you've already got a, a pre-designated uh, um, hide site somewhere. In a rural area, and then I go into underground hide sites. You know, basically taking literally taking your whole family underground, mm. um, and, and basically covering up until the 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 plague blows over, or mm. you know, zombies are done killing each other. Um, I go into early warning systems, um, all kinds of stuff, right? So communication systems, weaponry, blah blah blah. And uh, and last year, I remember talking to the company that produces all my products, and uh, they were looking at a new paradigm. You know, um, well, you know, looks like the sun might be setting on prepper stuff. You know, it's not as popular as it used to be you know and uh and voila here we go sun's rising on again today right yeah uh, 9-11 just uh set me up for success so from what i'm hearing is uh, my bulletproof backpacks are selling like crazy all my products are starting to sell yeah and uh and so that opens you know you know the old saying when one door closes another one opens well it's opening another door for me and uh and down the road here i i'm already discussing this talking about running um basically uh what i call survival learning skills courses right where you come for a couple of days uh, and across the united states and uh we put on these survival learning course skills courses right teach you things about um survival right um and i have a lot of cool stuff i did it already last year um for a very exclusive group um and uh, I, I have a feeling this will be the next wave of the future right so um, I'm actually, so I'm paired up with Joe Teddy, and, uh, he, you know, he brings a lot to the table in the survival skills realm and, uh, we kind of complement each other on our, with our, with our knowledge. So, um, look for us down the road, man, come out here like gangbusters and, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to make money, you know, and, you know, I like to sit here and tell you, oh, we're going to just do it from our heart because we love you guys, man. No, you know, everyone does everything to make money. Yeah. 
everybody does shit. There's, for and there's money, nothing man. wrong with that. That's so, that's the no, thing. Yeah, there's, there's there's a stigma that's like, oh, I bet you just like yeah, my yeah. podcast. I love doing my podcast, but I've had people who are like, you're trying to make money. I'm like, yes, yeah. yes, I am. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I am. Right? I, I'm, I was smart enough to get into medical school, as I know how to make money. I I'm doing this, and I like doing it. I love talking to people. I love giving comment. People that get to watch this, they're watching it for free. They get to listen to a Delta Force guy talk about coronavirus. Where the fuck else can you do that? Nowhere. Yeah. It's so it's it definitely it doesn't. They're not mutually exp- exclusive. Coming from the heart and coming from trying to make money, they they, they can be yeah. this. They can be in the same. I would like to exactly. make money off my podcast. That doesn't mean that I don't love doing this and I don't love putting shit out there. It's just right. same. So same with your prepper thing, like. It's doing it for the betterment of everyone, but dude, farmers grow mo- farmers grow food to sell for money. That doesn't mean that right, that, right. that doesn't make them any less noble in what they do. Uh, I, I mean, just feed you. you yeah, know? I'm, I'm here to feed you. No, like, if, if there's nothing wrong with that. I think that entire idea. Yeah, is, no, no. Oh, you're making well, I money. That, yeah, I, I say that because you know. It, it, Fuck it's, people that have a problem. It, with that. So, so, well, I, actually, it's it's my conscience, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm always I'm very conscious about stuff like that. You know, I, I always want to do the right thing, mm-hmm. um, and not be perceived as, you know, some guy that's a crook trying to, you know, take money Snake and snake oil. Because there's yeah. so many out there, right? There's so many charlatans out there, especially in the performance coaching realm. I'm dude. I'm, I mean, I'm just like amazed at. At these guys out there that are you know performance coaches, and it's like, wait a minute, what did you do in life? You you went to who Tony Robbins, and he gave you a course on it and certified you, and now you're trying to teach everybody else how to be super super man, super woman. Yeah, it doesn't work doesn't that work way, that right? Way. But they're out there making money, right? They're they're living off the gullible people. Um, at least I know that when I do something like that, I'm actually going to deliver something with yeah. substance. And uh, I've never had a bad, you know, uh, anything a response, report, report, or blog or anything like that. You know, it's about doing the right thing, but also expecting to get paid for, you know, a reasonable amount. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is kind of becoming an alternate career for me um, as well, uh, along with the security stuff. I'm not giving up on the security. Um, in spite of what's going on right now, I think it's actually going to come back. Mm. And uh, but the, the, here's another my last lesson learned for everybody. You know what? If you have only one uh, source of income, one income stream, okay, you've really screwed yourself yeah, because. Yeah. And when that is one source is gone, that one well dries up. Where are you going to go to drink, man? Yeah. Um, grab your gun and go drink at your neighbor's well. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But um, that and that's where a lot of people are today, right? And so. The good news is, for me, anyways, is I've always had multiple income streams. Now I've, you know, I made a lot of money, uh, and I've lost a lot of money. It's like ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And the reason I lose a lot of money because sometimes I'm willing to take a risk mm-hmm. um, and try something else. It doesn't work. Boom, I lose my ass. But I don't give up. It's like, okay, let me, let me, re, you know, redirect myself and come in on another approach. So I get to where I want to be. But um, you know, I have set myself up where I do have multiple streams of income. Um, you know, to keep me going so I can sit at home today and not actually go to a job, not worry that I don't have a job and still be making money. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's through the Internet, whether it's inventing products, I've invented stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, like my my ballistic backpack. Right. I, I created that several years ago. And, uh, you know, and I still, you know, drawing royalties off of that. I'm getting royalties off of DVD products I created. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I can go on all day long about stuff like this, you know, yeah. so I've my retirement check from the army. Okay. I, I worked 20 years to keep that in, get that income yeah. stream. Uh, so yeah. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things. And the point that what I'm trying to make is, um, you have to be diverse, man. You have to diverse, diverse yourself, diversify yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, if you haven't done that, man, um, you know, you have really put yourself at the mercy of, of the world, man, at the coronavirus yeah. and, uh, and, and your, and your boss, man, yeah. and the company you work for, whoever you're working for, the market yeah. um you know now you're out there flapping um i know you know i know people out there that relied you know just on one thing and uh and now that this is happening it's like man i got i'm done yeah flatline probably not gonna recover for a long time and yeah. what am i gonna do I, I have no other skills to fall back on you know yeah um so anyways um yeah, it's my daily my daily isms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, lessons learned, man. So. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I wrote down some questions, but I'll I'll save them for yeah. uh, I'll save them for tomorrow, so I don't okay. I, so I don't keep you. But yeah, uh, yeah, man. Let's um, still on a talk tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. fuck Fine. yeah, fuck Same yeah, time. yeah. Um, all right, yeah, I got a bunch of but yeah, I'll save them for tomorrow. Okay. Um, all right, all right man. man. I'll, 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 I'll text you tomorrow morning and uh, let's do another one, dude. I'm fucking excited. I'll send you a link to this one awesome. when it's uploaded. All right. All right, Dale. All right. Peace. Bye-bye. <laughs> Peace.